Christ is beginning to recognize our God here. He is good. And the Bible said, if you put together in his name, there he is in the midst. And I want him right in the midst of the service tonight. We thank you, Lord God. You are worthy. You are worthy of all praise, worthy of all adoration. You are worthy of all recognition, every accolade, oh God. Lord God, it's innumerable, indescribable, Lord. Oh God, have your way in this service, Lord Jesus, tonight, God. Lord, we desire nothing more, God, than just to experience you, Lord. Oh God, we ask God for a healing in this place, a deliverance in this place, reassurance in this place, God. Lord, you are our comforter and our counselor, God. Lord, we desire your joy, God, your comfort in this place. Oh, God, begin to move on my brother and our sister, God, here tonight. God, begin to move on your sons and your daughters, God. Lord, we're not satisfied, God, till we encounter you. Oh, God, help us to move when the fire moves. God, let us to have the faith when the cloud moves, God. Lord Jesus, we desire you, God. Lord, begin to stir, God, the water. God, begin to trouble the water, God. Lord, God, we've been waiting 30 and 80 years for our miracle, and we believe that tonight is the night, God. Lord, begin to walk in this place. God, let us have the faith, God, God to push through the crowd and just to grab onto the hem of your garment. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. God, begin to move into this place, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, God. Just a few more moments. Just a few more moments. Oh 
God, move in this place. God, stir us here tonight. God, make us uncomfortable, God, in this place, God, to move us closer to you. Ensemble, make your way to this platform. Amen. We have several that are at the ACE conference. We need to be praying for them and traveling mercies along with our pastor. Amen. But what's most important is that Jesus is here. I don't ever want to go to a church or declare in a service without Jesus in the house. Amen. Can we close our eyes and lift our hands tonight? And can we just begin to get our minds on the Lord? Many of us, I'm telling you, it was a rough day at work. It was one of those days. One of the worst I've had in a while. But God is still on the throne. He is still good. Can we begin to lift our voice right now? Despite what happened in the workplace today. Despite what happened on the way here. Despite what happened in the home. Can we just begin to talk to our God here? Can we just begin to get our minds on the Lord? Our God is a God of peace. A peace that passes all understanding. Lord God and Jacob, we come here to magnify you, Holy One of Israel. We come to lift up your name that is great and terrible. God, begin to move in this church right now. God, begin to move in this sanctuary. God, we need you here tonight. God, we're desperate, God, for you to breathe on us until our heart is new. God, begin to breathe that breath of life here into this sanctuary, God, and begin to work on our hearts, God. Begin to mend our hearts, oh God. Begin to move in this place as your spirit moved on the water, God. Lord, we need you here tonight in Jesus' name. Somebody begin to magnify your God in this place here tonight. He is worthy. He is worthy of all adoration. Let us worship him. Whatever you have needed, we will pray for you tonight. And just like God begin to move. His hand is not shortened. His capability has not ceased. Let us worship him.
Thank mm-hmm. you. 
we never want to forget, God, that you are to be our first love. God, you instructed us to seek you and your kingdom first above all, Lord God. God, we love because you first loved us. And Lord God, we love you here, God, tonight. God, let our hearts just beat for you, God. God, you instructed us in the first commandment to love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our might and every ounce of our being, God. You are to be our first love above everything else, above anyone else. Oh, God, begin, Lord Jesus, just to minister to us tonight. God of love, God of peace. Lord, you are jealous for us. And God, you move heaven and earth, earth, God, just to get our attention. And God, let us be still enough, God, to see what you're doing. Let us be still enough, God, to hear your voice that is calling our name here tonight, God. You are worthy of all praise and love and adoration. God, we worship you, Jesus. Have your way tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing another song unto the Lord. Amen. Let's see what God does here this evening. Thank you, Jesus.
there's an entire historical origin to that pastor's taught on it before, but it's about Jesus rising on the third day. Amen. 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 Looking forward to that. And of course, the AM service in the afternoon that is time with family. Uh, media ministry, we, we have a help wanted sign. If you notice, everybody look back at the live stream. It's running, but we, we don't have anybody because those that operate it, that are, have that skill set are, are out. And so you see the need. We see the need. And we have some young people that have such a skill with technology in, in, in education and, and as a technologist. They call them technology natives. They're literally born into a world with technology. I remember pushing buttons on a rotary phone and spinning the rotary phone and having a landline and talking to my friend. I'm like, Mom, I'm going to talk to my friend. And you stretch out that extension cord. Everybody remember that? VCRs, cassettes. I mean, my parents raised me right. I was listening to some 8-tracks. All right, yeah, I was raised right. But all right, see, everybody knows. But our children today, they call them a digital native because they are more into it. And so there's a skill set that they have that they could use for the kingdom. And there's some of our young people and young adults and even adults that have that skill set that say, Lord, where's my place in the kingdom? I think it says that God places people in the body where he sees fit. And that's a skill set that could be applied to the perpetuation of the kingdom of God. Amen. We have a need. I have nobody running the live stream right now. I turn it on and it's running, but I have nobody doing the live stream right now. We need people. So our training is going to be Saturday the 16th at 11 a.m. And we need you. I will train you. Never fear. Brother John is here. And I'm telling you, it is not that difficult. And once it's set, we get a nice rotation going on. And those that have been running it for a couple years have an opportunity to come out to the services. Amen. So looking forward to seeing everybody Saturday the 16th at 11 a.m. So we get to sleep in. All right, I'll have a few cups of coffee. My dog, my chickens, and my, my children will wake me up well early before that. Amen. And so we need you Saturday the 16th. Is there any other announcements this evening? If not, we're going to receive our, receive our Wednesday night tithe and half-shuckle offering. I'm someone we may be seated. Amen. We're going to continue on with our lessons. Thank you so much. Amen. So good to see everybody this evening. Thanks, Amen. We finally got the compatibility done with PowerPoint. It was either too small, where everybody had to look at it through binoculars, or trying to put in easy worship, we missed a few of the bullet points. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord. We are going to continue with our lesson on the oneness of God. I appreciate the excitement, and once again, I'm very humbled and honored by several that have come to me saying this was timely because they've had discussions with their families that don't believe in oneness, or they are, they're stuck in the traditions of Christendom, and so very honored and humbled that I've had several requests of PowerPoints, and so once again, I, I appreciate that, and I'm humbled, and I'm going to continue to print out uh, some more of the PowerPoints to you can take it home and, and study. And there's a, an abundance of resources at United Pentecostal Church International websites. There's a bunch of resources at Apostolic Pentecostal websites that have these type of resources. Amen. Go ahead, Nicholas, we can get onto the PowerPoint. Can we go to that first one, just the title? I built the slide, so I want to see it. 
We go to the previous one. So we are talking about the oneness of God. Our objectives for this particular unit have been monotheism, one God. I think that there are an abundance of scriptures that prove that God is one. Covering from Old Testament to New Testament. Last lesson we discussed the names and titles of God. But we know that Jesus is the name that is the name above every other name. Amen. Today we are going to really dive into early church history and some theological terminology. So we're going to, we've looked at the scriptural basis and now we're going to have some history of it. Next week we're going to talk about the origins of the Trinity. Modalism and the concepts of modalism, some of the early concepts predated Trinity. It predated the Nicene Council, which we're going to talk about next week. And so we're going to talk about the Trinity and how the early Roman Empire was involved in the conception of that. And then after that, it's probably going to be several lessons of the roles or the manifestations or the offices that God holds as, as Father and Son and Holy Ghost. But we know that it's just one God that we serve. Amen. Amen. Next slide, please. All right. Go ahead, Nicholas. It's not working. Yeah, we know how that goes with technology. Sometimes it's not sliding over. If anybody is proficient in PowerPoint, can somebody please help Nicholas? I need everybody, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is one of those scriptures that talks about, talks about the oneness of God. In God manifesting himself in the flesh. If we feel comfortable in doing so, can we stand to our feet to honor the word of God? Yes. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So everybody knows John 3, 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16 is one that we need to know. Amen. And it says, and without controversy, that means without argument. That means without debate. That means without a rebuttal, without controversy, great is the mystery or the hidden truths of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Who? Who? Was it a second person? Was it a co-equal? God himself was manifested or revealed in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, Preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world and received up in glory, as we know in Acts chapter 1. Amen. You may be seated as they're working on it. I am going to try to, I really wish the slide was working, we're going to try to go through this. So I'm going to be giving an abundance of dates because some of us are having to talk to family members and friends and colleagues and acquaintances about what we believe. In the oneness of God. I gave, we gave an abundance of scripture talking about that God is one. But now we're going to look at this chronological order of how the Trinity came into conception. And what early church believers had as the oneness of God. Believing in one God. Alright, so there's some time periods that are on the slide. The first period of time in the early church is called the Apostolic Age. That's a good name. Amen. Right. Yeah. I thought we'd get excited. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a whole there's a whole age dedicated to what we believe. Amen. Apostolic age talks about the it's that time period from Pentecost to the death of the Apostle John. What happened in this time period? Well, it said from 33 to 100 AD. Well, we know that Christ would have possibly been crucified in 33 AD. We know that he started his ministry in 30 AD. And then in this time period, you go through several circumstances in situations that have happened. You have the church that is growing. Okay, You have persecution by the Romans in 64 AD. You have the destruction. Thank you so much. You have the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. You have the dispersing of those that lived in Jerusalem. You had the Jews that were dispersed at that time. And then you have 130 AD where it was another Jewish revolt. And they changed it from Judea to Palestina just to insult the Jews. And so that is from 33 to 100 AD. From Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, to the death of the Apostle John. Now... The early church believers, the apostles, were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And so they were strict monotheistic believers. They believed in one God. That's why in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus told the scribe the first of all commandments, the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's why it resonated so much with his disciples. Because they believed in one God. That was the first of all commandments. The early church were one God believers. They were monotheistic. From 33 to 100 AD, they believed in one God. Even the Gentiles that came on began to understand and have the revelation of one God. Amen. Amen. And so nothing should have changed, but unfortunately it did. Now, from the years 100 to 140 AD, they call it the post-apostolic age. That means after the apostles. There's some things that begin to happen from 100 to 140 AD. Paul has passed on. John has passed on. The disciples have passed on. The initial teachings of Jesus were established. But if we are not careful, things begin to be twisted. Things begin to lose the original context of it. And people start having their own persuasion of mind. We know that the early church were one God believers. Amen. So in the post-apostolic age, we have that second Jewish revolt. But I'm going to get down to bullet points of things that happen. And then there's another age called the Anti-Nicene Age, which is around the time of the post-apostolic age. But that's from the years 100 to 325 A.D. So from 33, when Jesus came, to 325 A.D., there really wasn't the full doctrine of the Trinity. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? From 33 A.D., when Jesus showed his miracles, his signs, and his wonders, the day of Pentecost, to the year 325 A.D., there was no official recognized doctrine of the Trinity. Amen. Now, the thought process was birth, and we're going to talk about the father of Trinity. But it was monotheism. It was the oneness of God. 
So the early church development, as we talked about, it was after the apostles. The church began to grow. We know that Jerusalem fell. Jerusalem was destroyed, but it was in Rome, it was in Greece, it was in Asia Minor, it was in Macedonia, it was in the Mediterranean that these churches grew. I wish we had more time of it, but we know that Emperor Nero in 64 AD persecuted all the Christians, but the church grew in the midst of persecution. Amen. There are many times that, because this was the Roman Empire at the time, that there were emperors that were pagan that hated the Christians because the Christians worshipped one God instead of the multiple gods of Rome. The Christians refused to give alms or recognition to the multiple, multiple gods, the polytheistic gods of Rome. And so, I hate to say it, but the emperor considered himself a god at many times and they decided, hey, if they're not going to give me recognition, we need to kill the Christians. But that could not stop the church. Amen. 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 In the midst of persecution, the church grew. Amen. At that time period, monotheistic belief continued. These were, this was birthed from the Judeo aspect of things, from the Old Testament, the God the God of the Old Testament, the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, they understood the deity and the humanity of Christ, which we're going to talk about later on in this lesson. Amen. As we said, without controversy, that means without debate, without rebuttal, without argument, great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifested in the flesh. Amen. They understood this. Now, this is the problems we start having. Theology and debates. Now, a lot of people can understand, okay, the Holy Ghost, God is a spirit. A lot of people don't struggle with that, but it's the relationship between Father, Son. And we're going to talk about that later on in this lesson. But there were many theological writers that had their own perception of it. There are many writers that said, okay, Maybe, maybe Jesus was just a demigod. There's even believers that said that Jesus wasn't God in the flesh. Things begin to sprout out. And if we're not careful, we, become, we begin to assume things. But at this time, you had a lot of these early bishops and these early priests and these early writers that said, okay, maybe Jesus was this, maybe Jesus was a, a sub-god, maybe... God died on the cross. All these different theories were going, which should have never happened. But unfortunately, it did. So, 33 to 100, the apostolic age, great name. That is an official theological term. The post-apostolic age, 100 to 140 AD, and the anti-Nicene age from 100 to 325. Amen. Next slide, please. Some of the apostolic writers, the post-apostolic writers, you have, and these are the names, you're more welcome to look them up, but Clement of Rome, Polycarp, that sounds like a great name for a child. Hey, Polycarp, get over here. Hey, hey, you go out there and go get Polycarp. But these were early theological writers at the time. Uh, Ignatius and Hermanus, and th their particular age, right, and they were oneness believers from 90 to 140 AD, still before the Nicene Council. 
before Trinity was adopted. Amen. Irenaeus, he was another oneness believer. Now there's some differentiation. He died in 200 AD. He was a Christocentric theology, Christ-centered. The belief that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. That goes with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The logos, which is Greek for word, right? This is, goes with that same logos that's in, in John chapter 1. And the word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt, dwelt among us. That's where we get that logos. That's that Greek word for word. Amen. The word. And he believed in a particular concept called an economic trinity, which meaning it was a temporary trinity, that God was one. And these are the beliefs that were thrown out at the time. I mean, it's only not too long after Paul. Wasn't too long after Jesus. But these thoughts were beginning to be thrown around. And the temporary trinity, he believed that, okay, there's one God, but he's operating as a temporary trinity just to get things done and then he goes back to his oneness does everybody understand it was just a temporary three trinity and then he goes back to one at the end of age that was a theory that was thrown around at the time but he still believed in one god this is where you start having your differentiations and thought processes that are happening in the early church now next slide please this is you look at Trinitarian theologians, this is what they equate to oneness Pentecostalism. We are going to be learning about modalism. Why I'm talking about it is that it is the beginnings, well, I mean, always has been, and always was, and is, that God is one. Right. Amen. But it is the approach to the Godhead. Because for some reason, that became a controversy. Even though Timothy said there shouldn't be a controversy, that God was manifested in the flesh. So there was a theologian and church historian in the late 20th, or excuse me, the late 1900s to the early 20th, excuse me, late 1800s to the early 1900s. Uh, he was a theologian, church historian, Adolf von Harnack. He first used the term modalism. So if we break down that word, mode, God operating in modes, right? Modalism. He described a doctrine believed in the late 2nd century, that's the 100s, to the 3rd thir century, which is the 200s. During this time period, Christian theologians were attempting to clarify the relationship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But he was the first one to coin the term modalism. Looking back at these early church writers, these early church fathers, as they call them. Now, he claimed, I love this claim, Evangelist Simmons, that it was the most dangerous rival to Trinitarianism. I, I was wondering if we're awake tonight. He claimed that it was the greatest rival to Trinitarianism in doctrine, believing that it was one God manifested. And one God in three manifestations. The greatest rival to Trinitarianism it was modalism in that early church. Now, based on the early writers, and this is including Tertullian, who's the father of the Trinity, 
They claimed that modalism was the official theory of Rome for a generation. That early church, it was a whole generation that believed in modalism before Trinitarianism came in. Tertullian even called these people simple. He said, I'm not trying to call them uneducated, but they're simple. Believing that it is one God. Amen. And so modalism was prominent for a whole generation believing in one God manifesting himself in three ways. Amen. So modalism, monarchianism. Next slide, please. This is what this particular early church, the early oneness believing at that post-apostolic phase we talked about. Amen. It conceives that the whole fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ. I believe the scripture says that, right? Amen. The fullness of the Godhead, Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ. Amen. It took exception to the subordination of some church writers and maintain that the names Father and Son were only different designations of the same subject, the one God. Amen. They didn't believe that Jesus was subordinate to God. Because that theory was going around. Amen. With a reference to the uh, relations in which he had previously stood to the world, his Father. But in reference to his appearance in humanity, is called the Son. Amen. That sounds like some good history there. Amen. Now the theological doctrine of modalism is that members of the Trinity are not three distinct persons, but rather three modes of God. Three manifestations or forms of activity. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost under which God manifests himself. Amen. That sounds like what we believe. Amen. Amen. Our history. In the early church. Next slide, please. Now, monoarchianism is a Christological position that opposes the doctrine of an independent, personal sub, uh, substance of the Logos and affirm the sole deity of God the Father. Meaning that Jesus was not separate from the Father. Meaning that Jesus wasn't subordinate to the Father, but uh, monarchianism believes that it's solely God the Father. It means an indivisible God. That means he cannot be divided. Amen. Now, there are some groups that fall under this, such as the Jehovah Witness. Now, we're Modalism, we would be considered to Trinitarian as the, the modalism, monarchianism, meaning that we're not going to divide God into three. We believe that God manifested himself in three ways, in three offices, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But to a Jehovah's Witness, Jesus was not God manifested in the flesh, but he was Michael the Archangel, if I remember, or an angel manifested. So they're strictly just the Father, but they leave out the manifestation of God in the flesh. Even though 2 Timothy says, without controversy, without debate, without argument, great is the mystery of godliness, bro, that God was manifested in the flesh. Not an angel. He was seen of angels, but not an angel. But we are, would fall under that because we don't believe in dividing God. God hates division. 
I mean, I don't even like division. Amen. Amen. Your modalism leaders at the time, and as I said, this is your second and third centuries. I, if I remember reading it, approximately the time period believed would be 180 to 380 that this time period took place, where you would consider the, the prominent modalist leaders. You have Noetus, Praxia, I forgot the A in there, so Praxius, and Sibelius. Sibelius is, is really the prominent leader of it. Now, modalism, according to Trinitarians, is considered a heresy. Does anybody know what a heresy is? I'm just going to see if we are awake this evening. What is a heresy? Could be an offense? Absolutely. Anybody else? What is it? What is it? Could be a lie? Absolutely. There's been uh, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, for multiple years. Anything they didn't like, they called it a heresy. People were burned at the stake for heresies. People were hung for heresies. People were executed. If, if they didn't agree with you, they just called it a heresy. A heresy is an offense, many times a lie, but a heresy is something I don't like against the established church at the time, namely the Roman Catholic Church. When you're going against their dogma, what they have written as man. So they consider modalism to be heresy. Why? Because it's contrary to what was established so many years after Jesus. When oneness predated that, when the, the thought of God manifesting himself predated the Nicene Council. And we're going to talk about the Nicene Council where it was a, an agree to disagree, and you get an entire doctrine of a bunch of individuals that got together as human beings to agree on something just to unify the Roman Empire. Oh, well, we can't, we can't stumble on it. Can we just all agree on it? When the oneness of God is a mandate in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, we have established several scriptures where God is one. Amen. And each of these roles and offices are important. Amen. So we're going to end this evening with Sibelius in this modalism monarchianism. Sibelianism is literally the term that they coined for Sibelius. So modalism, they said, since Sibelius was such an advocate to the manifestation of God, since he believed in one God, they're just going to call it Sibelianism. They did that a lot of times in the early church. If you had a thought process, they just attach it as an ism. So if I was a prominent priest and I preached a certain doctrine, they would call it a brownism. Please don't. <laughs> so civilianism, they, they call it that. Even Trinitarians today looking this up. Sibelius was excommunicated from the church because he went against the beginnings of the Trinity. Amen. Even though it predated the Nicene Council, he just really promoted it. His statement was, God who revealed himself as the Father in creation, Son in incarnation, and Holy Ghost in regeneration and sanctification. 
I've heard that proclaimed by many apostolics. His central uh, proposition was to the effect that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are the same person. Three names thus being attached to the one and same being. What weighed the most with Sibelius was the monotheistic interest of this concept. But he was excommunicated from the church because he just didn't roll to what was being birthed. Amen. Amen. And unfortunately, what's interesting to me is that as we are looking at modalism, modalism, monarchianism, where we, monarchianists, remember, we're not divided. That's what the monarchian is a part. Indivisible, right? One nation, indivisible. Too bad our country's starting to divide too much. And a house divided cannot stand. Like a God divided, that's a God divided. Amen. But the modalism, so understand that it is God that has manifested himself in different modes or in different manifestations. And of course, a lot of Trinitarians think that we have just limited God. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. So omnipresent means he's everywhere. Omnipotent means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He means he's all-knowing. Amen. We cannot limit God. Amen. And so these are the, the early church fathers. Now, there were many that were put to death later on after the Nicene Council because they believed in oneness, because it was considered a heresy. There were many that were burned at the stake for it by the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, even though they didn't quite call themselves that, but the Roman Empire that adopted that. Amen. And so... Tonight we talked about some of these early oneness believers. We are not alone. It is not a new concept. It is an ancient concept. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how he interacts with mankind has been different. We believe in dispensations, right? That's a period of time in which God deals with mankind in a certain way. Beginning with a promise and ending in a judgment. God has changed his, God hasn't changed, but his interaction with mankind has changed. I don't remember the last time I've been to a tabernacle. Do you? Now, if there was, I'd be there. I don't remember the last time that I had to go to the Day of Atonement for the temple. Praise God, even though I'd be there. I have an ongoing joke with Brother Scotty and Dylan that when the third temple was built, when David Rubin was here, I wanted to say it, Brother Scotty. Man, I'm going right into the holies of holies when they build it. Now, I will instantly be arrested by the Israeli police, but at least I went into the holies of holies. Just joking. But God has not changed. Now, how he's interacted with mankind has changed. I think you can agree on that. Amen. The same yesterday, today, and forever. His essence, who he is as our God, has not changed. But his interactions with mankind has changed. And that's that's an argument that we feel we take away somehow we're changing God. No, God has not changed. How he's worked with man has changed. He was different with Moses than how he was with Abraham. Would you agree? He was different with the prophets how he was with Jacob. Wouldn't we agree? He was different with Paul than he was with Jeremiah. Wouldn't we agree? God has changed his interactions with mankind. 
But God has not changed. Amen. He's had this all mapped out since he said, let there be. He said, let there be, I've got this plan. It's a beautiful plan. And in that plan, I am going to bring salvation to my creation. I have the plan of manifesting myself in the flesh. Amen. I like that plan. And I am very thankful for the dispensation I live in. I like grace. I like grace. I like grace. Amen. So I, I pray that we learn something tonight. I will get this printed out. Um, as I said, you can, once I get it printed out, go. If you have copious amounts of free time, go learn about these early theological, as they call them, church fathers, these, these writers. And then next week, we're going to be diving into the origins of the Trinity. And we're going to see how the Nicene Council was, let's get together so we can unify the empire. Let me ask you this question. Why, why did a Roman emperor that was Christian for like five minutes jump into the conversation? Why would a former pagan emperor want to start talking about the Godhead? Control. If I have all these people arguing about a Godhead, how can I have a unified empire? We'll be talking about Constantine the Great. Was he really great that he murdered his own wife and children? Was he really that great? And he got into that conversation. And he brought in a lot of pagan things. No, sir. So remember, those that are having these conversations, there's a history to everything. We have scripture. We have the revelation through the Holy Ghost, knowing who he is. And now we have history to prove that concept. Amen. May the Lord bless you tonight. May the Lord keep you. Amen. Be safe and we will see you soon. May the Lord bless you.